Hi, I'm Kelly Cervantes, and this is Seizing Life, a bi-weekly podcast produced by Citizens United for Research in Epilepsy, CURE. Today, I'm happy to welcome Dr. Michael Smith to another remotely recorded episode of the podcast. Dr. Smith is the director of the Rush Epilepsy Center, professor in the Department of Neurological Sciences and senior attending neurologist at Rush University Medical Center in Chicago. He is a longtime friend and supporter of CURE, having served as the founding board chair, and he was instrumental in helping CURE set up its research program. Dr. Smith is joining us today to talk about categories and types of seizures, how they may present in epilepsy patients, and how categorization of seizures can help doctors in prescribing treatments. Dr. Smith, thank you so much for joining us today. I know you're incredibly busy, so we really do appreciate you taking time to to educate us. I know that the the definition of a seizure is um, is sort of evolving and changing as we learn more. What what is sort of the, the that scientific definition of a seizure? Well, well, so so the you know it's the idea that um, electrical disturbance that that uh, disturbs or interferes with normal brain function would probably be a basic definition of a seizure and that electrical disturbances is the short circuit. What is it that's happening in the brain when, it is, when a seizure occurs? Okay, that, that, that's a great question. So the brain is an electrical organ and, and, and you could sort of think of it as a, there's a short circuit in one area of the brain. And if you put it sort of in computer terms, you could think of the brain as a network of computers. And you could think that one of the, uh, you know, a focal seizure um, is, a, a, is a short circuit in one of the computers of the network, while a generalized seizure is a short circuit in the entire network. The disturbance of the behavior depends on where that short circuit occurs. Okay, so you mentioned generalized and focal seizures. Yeah. What, um, what, what are they? What, what's yeah. the difference? So, with our with our newest definitions of of the the of epilepsy, um, we talk about focal seizures uh, that begin. So they're beginning in one spot, with or without changes of awareness. So, uh, you know, a, a focal aware seizure that means that a seizure is occurring in one spot of the brain and I'm aware of it and I could tell you later that my, well, my hand was tingling or my hand was twitching. While focal non-aware or with awareness impaired, and you're not gonna be able to remember that your hand was twitching or tingling and you wouldn't be able to report that. Now, the other big, di- uh, the other big um, division in seizures is with or without motor activity. Uh, you know, so they're going to be an aware seizure with motor activity or an aware seizure without motor activity. So we divide all of the epilepsies, the the, par- the partial epilepsies into, again, uh, focal or partial with or without awareness and with or without motor involvement. And then the okay. generalized seizures are occurring throughout the whole brain. And there again, with motor activity, without motor activity, and with awareness and without awareness. So what you're saying is there are a crap load of different types of seizures. That's correct. correct. (laughs) In a very lay lay term, we've got a lot of different kinds of seizures going on. And I think that that is 
so important for people outside of the epilepsy community to really understand because you know the um i think they think of movie style seizures as 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 what they are and sort of understanding that there is is a a larger array of what seizures can look like for people exactly Um, so within these two seizure categories we have focal we have general generalized and then you talked about whether they were aware or not um can can you sort of explain the 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 names of those seizures because once again i know that they've recently changed um a lot of the names and sort of what those are and you know are you able to know where they're occurring in the brain how, how does that work yeah, so so the the names are just that focal and then impaired awareness or not impaired awareness with motor and without motor those are the names now the description of the seizure is all important because that tells you exactly where the seizures are coming from. So if someone tells me that they have a visual hallucination onto the right side of their world, then I could say that their seizures are coming from the left posterior head region in the temporal occipital area. So you, you, you can, so history is all important in defining where the seizures are, are coming from there. It's better than any of our other testing. It's better than EEG. It's better than any of our testing is, is the history from the patient. And the description, when the patient can't remember uh, the seizure, the description of the seizure from the witness. So the, the patient might say, I felt a funny, I had a funny feeling in my stomach. And then, and, and then I lost awareness. And, and the, the, uh, the witness will say, I went up and talked to them and they were mumbling and, and then picking at their clothes and, and swallowing. And then they turned their head to the right and fell to the ground and had a convulsion. And so that would tell you the whole sequence of events that occurred as the seizure spread from, from um, a focal aware seizure to a focal unaware seizure within secondary generalization. So that sort of helps, you know, because clearly if you have a patient who is nonverbal, they're not going to be able to tell you about the feeling in their stomach or exactly. the tingling in their hand. But exactly. by witnessing the seizure, you can potentially have a better idea of where that might be occurring. Exactly. In the brain. That's exactly it. Mm-hmm. That's, it's so fascinating to, to know that so much can be learned just visually from someone who has a trained eye on, on what to look for. And, and what, what I tell my residents and fellows is, you know, if you're in doubt of what's going on, you talk to the patient because they can often tell you what's happening by their description of their event. Hi, this is Brandon from Citizens United for Research in Epilepsy, or CURE. For the 65 million people worldwide living with epilepsy, progress is unacceptably slow. At CURE, our mission is to find a cure for epilepsy by promoting and funding patient-focused research. Learn more at cureepilepsy.org. Now back to this episode of Seizing Life. We hear some of these terms, tonic, tonic-clonic, absence. Where do, where do they fall in? Do we still call them that or have they changed their names no, no, too? No. So, so, so the tonic and tonic-clonic uh, are, are descriptions of the motor phenomena. That's all. And, and, so, and, and so you can have, when, you, when a, a muscle, when a, an, an extremity just stiffens and then is held there, that's called, that's tonic. Clonic is when it starts to jerk. And absence seizure is, is that is the, the generalized non-unaware seizure. And that's where someone would just stare off and be gone for 
for you know, 15 seconds and then suddenly come back. Uh, what other seizure uh, types should we know about? What other names? Well, so so the, the, the major seizure type in an adult uh, is a focal, non, uh, a focal seizure with impaired awareness. And that seizure usually involves the temporal lobe. And it usually, uh, the, the impaired awareness means that the memory circuit is involved deep in the temporal lobe. So the person is no longer remembering what is going on. And so this, when, when a seizure switch from, from impaired or from non-impaired to impaired, it usually means that that memory circuit is being engaged in the seizure. And, and it's so a seizure is spreading from one area into another. <clears throat> So a seizure can start out as focal and then become generalized? It can. A lot of seizures do that. So they, they start out as a, as a focal seizure, and it, and it can actually start as a focal, so a simple partial or a focal aware seizure going on to a complex partial or a focal unaware seizure, and then going on to a generalized tonic-clonic seizure or a generalized convulsive seizure. So you'd say that that's the most common seizure type in adults. What about in children? So in children, um, more of the generalized seizures are occurring, and, and some of the more um, harder to describe seizures are occurring. Absence, it used to be called petite mal, or absence is, is a childhood epilepsy. <clears throat> some of the, um, some of the uh, partial motor seizures are, are more common in the, in, in the pediatric population. Um, so the, the adult populations, their, their brain is more mature, and, and there's, there's fewer ways for a seizure to manifest itself. Uh, through, uh, while in a, in a pediatric uh, patient, there's more manifestation. So in the neonate, in the brand new baby who is having seizures, there can very, they, they can be very odd and subtle seizures that, that again, um, uh, just, and sometimes just fragments of seizures just because of the maturity of the, of the brain at that point in time. Where does infantile spasms fit into that? So, a, so infantile spasm, that, that's a great question because that's one of those seizures that, that is, can be quite subtle and sometimes it can be not so subtle, but um, it can be going anywhere from a little head drop to some, some you know, rolling of the shoulders to, a, to an almost a, uh, you know, sitting up like you know, a, a big flexion of the, of the um, of the waist, and so it has many, you know, many, many manifestations, and its manifestations. So infantile spasm sort of disappears as the child matures, and they, it, it sort of evolves into other seizure types. So, the, so the the child with infantile spasm sort of graduates into um, to a Lennox Gastaut like pattern with multiple different seizure types as the central nervous system matures and as different tracts of the brain are myelinated. So they're, so they're, they're being wired. And so you could think of infantile spasm as really it's, um, the, the manifestations are due to, in, in one sense, to the immature central nervous system. Are there certain types of seizures that are easier to diagnose via EEG or visuals and others that are, are more challenging? Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, uh, you know, a, a you know, no matter how you know hard to watch a generalized tonic-clonic seizure, I would actually prefer if everyone started their seizures like that, because it, you know, because what happens is that then that grabs medical attention, right? It's a it's a 
dramatic event that you know will ensure people will go go and see someone and and get a diagnosis. While so, you know people can have years of very subtle seizures that can be harming the brain in a subtle sort of way, but in a continued sort of way without a diagnosis. So many people have you know when you when they had their first convulsion and you talk to them while well, they've been having funny spells for a long period of time, and all those funny spells were actually seizures, and all those funny spells um, that they didn't know what they were was strengthening that, that circuit over time, so making it harder and harder to treat. So I would just as soon have everyone, you know, declare themselves as having, a, having epilepsy and then, and then coming under treatment because then I have a better chance of, of putting, you know, getting them into medical remission and if I, if I get them in medical remission, then I have a better chance of disease remission. So my goal is always no seizures and no side effects on medication first with the idea that then in some of those, I can go to no seizures, no side effects off medication. You bring up something that I don't think a lot of folks are aware of, which is that the faster that you treat uh, the faster you can get a, a diagnosis, the better chance you have of getting the seizures under control. Um, and so to pay attention to those funny spells or yeah, you know, to, not, to not ignore it and, and get to a doctor and make sure that you're talking about it. Well, the, the big problem, the brain doesn't discriminate learning good things or bad things, it learns. And what actually is happening, it's learning seizures. And so the longer you have seizures, the better learned it is. And so once something is better learned, it's harder to get rid of. It's like a, a memory that you go over on again and again and again, and it's harder to forget that memory then. <clears throat> and so there's no question that um, the, the best chance of getting someone into disease remission is, a, is an early, a, a rapid diagnosis and rapid control. And the longer they, <clears throat> the longer they have um, uncontrolled seizures or untreated seizures, the less chance of me ever getting them into disease remission. And so, though, but those spells count too. For instance, I, I, care, I care for a family practitioner who during her medical school days began hearing an advertising jingle in her head. And after a while it bugged her and she got herself evaluated and everything was normal. So, but it continued, it would be, it would be brief lasting 15 to 30 seconds and, and never, any, never any loss of consciousness, happening a couple times a month, and this continued. So then while she was a resident, she would have that followed by vertigo, dizziness, the, where the whole room would spin. And again, she had herself evaluated, everything was normal. Now, this had been going on for about 10 years, then one day at a movie theater, she had advertising jingle, vertigo, and then a convulsion. And so she had been having small seizures this whole time, that were unrecognized. And, and again, and so then <clears throat> me trying to treat her, I was able to get her seizures under control, but she will never be able to go off medication because that was a well-learned phenomena. And again, the, brain, the brain's a learning machine. It, it just learns and it doesn't know not to learn certain things. And that's just I mean, wild to me that A, a seizure can manifest in that way and, um, is and so interesting to think about the brain in that way and and that it just it learns good or bad is it it learns. Behavior, right I mean, that's so, what it's good for 
Yeah. So I guess, you know, to that, to that extent, are there some seizures that do more damage than others? Well, that, that's a, that's a really good question. Um, it, it appears that some, some of them don't activate the brain in the same way. So absence seizures, you know, the, the, seem to be, you know, it might be a, it might be a seizure of the inhibitory system, not the excitatory system. And so they don't seem to cause the same long-term damage that, that the excitatory seizures can. And excitatory seizures in certain structures are, is more damaging than in other areas. Uh, explain the difference between an excitatory seizure and a what was the other one again? Inhibitory. So the brain has, you know, it's a positive and negative. So there's, there's a, in effect, there's excitatory is where, where the, the, the system is very too rapid. But we also have a system that sort of holds the brain in check. That's the inhibitory system. And a lot of our medications that we use are, are acting on the inhibitory system to improve it. So, so the benzodiazepines like clobazam, like Valium, uh, are actually improving the inhibitory system, and, and, and that's how they that's how they act. And so, they, so it may be that some some seizures aren't don't cause the same damage, um, but the uh, um, and and damage in certain locations. So again, the biggest complaint that my patients have is that they can't remember well their short-term memory is not good. And that's usually because that short-term memory hard drive is involved in their seizure. And what actually happens over time is their short-term memory um, gets damaged and you can actually see chain over time. You could see it shrink um, and, and, and you can actually see loss of, loss of brain volume in that circuit that correlates with their decreased memory function. And so that so that's direct that's a direct relationship between the number of seizures and the severity of the seizures and the loss of brain volume the brain structure. When you are so you are diagnosing a patient um, and you are figuring out their seizure type along this train of thought, I imagine that that then helps you decide which medication is going to be the best to treat those. Can you sort of explain yeah. a little more in depth how someone's seizures might determine the best treatment for them? So uh, there's certain medications that are good for all seizures, but most of our medications are either good for those focal seizures or the generalized seizures. So knowing what seizure type you have helps dictate which medications that you can use. Now, the good news is that in the past 20 years, we've now developed more medications that are good for both the, the, the generalized and the focal seizures. So, so um, the, the only one we had in the, in the uh, way past in the 90s, early 90s was Divalproex or Valproic acid. That was good for both seizure types. But now many of our, our, our medications are good for both seizure types. We obviously know that there are other ways to treat seizures aside from medication, VNS or surgery or um, the the brain implants. What seizure types work with those, and and how? Yeah, those, yeah, those yeah. are good questions. So the the bottom line is is that we always try medications first, right? And and about two thirds of people will respond to 
to a medication, the first or the second medication. Now, if that fails, then you say, okay, how can I cure the patient? So if all the seizures are coming from one spot, that's when you start to say, is there a, if there's a scar in that one spot, so there's you know the MRI scans abnormal in that one spot, the EEGs abnormal in that one spot. So if I can get rid of that one spot, um, then then I could be I could successfully cure the patient. And those are the people that you say, you know, I could get I could get rid of that spot by taking it out. I can resect it, remove it. Or now more recently they have laser ablation where I can destroy that one spot, uh, and and therefore you know stop the seizures. And so. Once you say my medicines aren't working, the, the next question is, you know, are you know, are you, uh, do you, are all your seizures coming from one spot? If they're more than one spot, then resective surgery or you know, taking a spot out or destroying a spot wouldn't help. So then, then you're saying, okay, then you're thinking about neuromodulation, which is the vagal nerve stimulator, but now there's also the deep brain stimulation. And the and responsive neurostimulation, so that we now have three different stimulation. And the other the other treatment option for the the person who has seizures coming from more than one spot <clears throat> is um, a diet. We 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 know that diet works, and diet works as well as our medications in some in, individuals. Sometimes even better. So if the seizures are focal, if you can pinpoint where they are coming from why not try surgery before a medication or why not try the diet before the medication? Those are both good questions. The, the, the problem of course is, is that, you know, it all depends on what that one spot does. So if that one spot is close to the language cortex or motor cortex, then yes, I could get rid of your seizures, but I'm going to leave you with a deficit that is unacceptable. Right. And so, so that's why, you know, the, the medications uh, presumably are not permanent and they're not going to leave you with a permanent deficit. So that's why the, the idea is, is that you, you first try medications. And again, two thirds of people will, will respond to their first or second medication. And then, and then those are the people that, you know, that those are the people that the seizures get controlled and, and then hopefully you can then ultimately go down on the medications and, 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 they're in disease remission. Um, but if, if the seizures continue, you say, okay, now uh, medic- you know, one or two medications ain't going to work. So then I have to look at you know, what else can I do? So you have um, it just sort of had my own little light bulb moment here where, because I've always wondered, you know, they talk about people coming off of medication and I never quite understood how someone could come off medication, but in the way that you explained it, if you are training, you know, you're essentially training the brain through the medication not to have the seizures. So then the lack of seizures becomes the learned behavior of the brain. Is that how that works? Well, you sort of, you know, I mean, so the bottom line is, you know, you're correct. The the bottom line is, is that we have a powerful system in our brains that we, we all would have seizures without this powerful system. And, and, and it's only when that system is overwhelmed that you have a seizure. So that's why the people that have seizures, you know, have epilepsy, they might have it when they have a fever from another source, or they might have it when, they, when they're sleep deprived or they're under stress or they, so that's when their own system is not working as well as it was. So what is happening when you put someone on medication, they go seizure free, then you're giving their system time to sort of strengthen and now <clears throat> their own system can hold 
the short circuit in check without the help of medication. And those are the people that go, you know, go into disease remission. Does that mean that they can never have another seizure? Not really. So if, if you weaken their system suddenly, they might have that, that seizure that they hadn't had for 30 or 40 years because it, it sort of came back out. Right. Um, you know, their, their inhibitory system couldn't control it anymore. But, yeah, but you're right that the stronger that inhibitory system gets, <clears throat> the, the inhibitory system is sort of learning how to control the seizure. So you are, just did a brilliant job of leading me into my next question, which is, you know, the truth of the matter is outside of, you know, limited surgery, there is no cure. And, you know, that is one thing that the cure as an organization is, is out there trying to remedy by funding research. I know it's something that I've noticed, but um, how, why is it that certain types of seizures or certain types of epilepsy seem to be studied more than others? Maybe because they're easier to study. <clears throat> and a, what would make a seizure or a, dis, a well, particular disorder easier to study? Well, you know, it, it, it becomes, well, or there's a, <clears throat> there's a, a better model for that, you know, that model for that seizure. You're talking about um, like an animal model that animal they, model, uh, yeah, exactly, or a mouse yeah. or a zebra exactly. fish or whatever that they can Exactly. See. You know, so, so, so I have, you know, I have a, a given genetic abnormality and then I could, you know, uh, that, that I could give that genetic abnormality to a, to an animal, a rat or a mouse. And then you have a better model for what, you know, what you're trying to study and, uh, and what you're trying to treat. Um, remember, uh, the problem is a lot of our medications uh, came out of trial and error, and and, and they came out of just uh, um, uh, getting you know being lucky, the right place, the right time, and, and and making an observation. And so now, as we start to understand more the basics of the seizure, we um, um, can you know develop and understand better models, and that's what all the genetics has done. You know, we're now getting down to a genetic abnormality that then pr produces a seizure down the line, and then I can study how it changes over time. That makes so much sense. And then, you know, I guess as someone who has spent his career studying the brain and epilepsy, is there something you wish that the epilepsy community understood better as a whole? And is there something that you wish that the general public understood more about epilepsy? Well, um, there's, there's two things. Um, I think that the epilepsy, the seizures, um, are, is only one part of epilepsy. Uh, the other part of epilepsy is the effect of the epilepsy on the brain itself. So the cognitive, psychological, psychiatric changes that uh, occur in the... And the other thing is, 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 the, is in the psychosocial sphere is, you know, what that what that epilepsy does to the person and their and their family and their environment, and so the you know sometimes I think that the seizure is the smallest part of the problem. That that if I could get the loneliness, the depression, the uh, um, you know the, the feeling different, um, uh, and the you know sort of the stigma of epilepsy better controlled, um, that that the person's life would be better. You know, despite how enlightened we think we are, if someone has a convulsion in the, in, in, in the midst of us, we will treat that person differently, even if we try not to, because it scares the bejesus out of us. And when something scares you and you don't understand it, 
what you do is you try to keep yourself distant from it. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so sometimes I think if, if that could be broken down, so the psychosocial aspect of uh, uh, our stigma of epilepsy, if that could be helped, um, there would be, you know, the person's quality of life, even if they still had some seizures, would be better. And, and, and their life would, would go on better. Uh, um, and I think that the, you know, the, ni- the nice thing from a, from a clinician standpoint or, or someone who's been involved in epilepsy for a long time is you have a lot of, you know, treatment of the seizure is just, again, part of the, part of the things that you can do. You can also educate the public and you can educate the patient and their family to understand this whole phenomenon better and not be so scared of it. It's that psychosocial stigma which is um, so hard. I think it's it's just so important that you bring that up. I never cease to walk away from one of these conversations. I always feel like I have a, a very solid understanding. And then I walk into a conversation with um, a doctor like yourself and am blown away by how much more there is still to learn. Thank you so, so much for your time today. Um, I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Mm-hmm. Thanks. Thank you, Dr. Smith, for providing us with a better understanding of the various types of seizures and explaining how identifying and categorizing them can result in more effective treatments. Research has helped us gain a better understanding of seizures and has led us to developing more effective treatments. And it's research that will lead us to our ultimate goal of finding a cure for epilepsy. To help us realize that goal, please visit cureepilepsy.org forward slash donate. Your support and generosity are greatly appreciated. Thank you. The opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect the views of CURE. The information contained herein is provided for general information only and does not offer medical advice or recommendations. Individuals should not rely on this information as a substitute for consultations with qualified healthcare professionals who are familiar with individual medical conditions and needs. CURE strongly recommends that care and treatment decisions related to epilepsy and any other medical condition be made in consultation with a patient's physician or other qualified healthcare professionals who are familiar with the individual's specific health situation.